Man, it's good to see you, City Church. It's good to be here. Uh, my name is Micah. I get the privilege of being a pastor here. Um, and uh, God's got a word for you, and I know that because he, he had a word for me. And the word was different than uh, what I'm usually used to hearing when I'm getting ready to preach. And it's been a couple weeks. Um, the nice thing about preaching every week is you get time to prepare um, in advance. And so I have been for the last month. Um, but then the Lord, as he does, waited until the ninth hour to say, hey, I want you to do something a little different. And uh, he's like, I'm going to test your obedience. And that's the word that he gave me this year was obedience um, in the big things and the small things. And now when I hear him, I'm like, okay, that's the word you prepared me. I just got to do it. Um, but God is good and he helps us get through it. Amen. <clears throat> um, if you have your scriptures, um, I'm proud of you. Uh, it's a good thing to bring your scriptures with you. It's nice to be able to look at it. Um, or if you just have your phones, um, I'm also proud of you. Um, because you don't have to use that find my uh, iPhone or whatever. Um, so pull that out, turn to Matthew chapter 6. We're in the middle of a series on Matthew, hearing directly from Jesus, and it's, it's been special. We're in part 9 today, um, and I had a whole, I'm telling you, I had a whole sermon, 10 pages, um, yeah, 10 pages of notes, and uh, God's like, I don't want you to use those. I was like, oh, come on, what? And uh, so I'm here, and all I have that I'll be looking at is um, Scripture, which is a good thing to look at. And so God's like, hey, you can do this because um, if you don't remember what's next, just read my word. Like, it works every time. So that's what we're going we're gonna to go forward in that, in that way. Um, God gave me a verse. He didn't just tell me what not to do or what to do. He also gave me a verse, um, and it's not one that I've ever preached on or really taken a lot of thought work into, um, and that's Revelation 19. Um, and it says, it says the, the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. The testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Here's what prophecy is. It's hearing from the Lord from heaven and releasing it on earth. Um, we're going to look at the Lord's Prayer briefly today, um, but that's what he said. He said, you are to go to your Father, and you're going to ask him every day, all the time, to make his will um, done on earth just like it is in heaven. Who knows that God gets what he wants in heaven? Yeah, he does. Every, everything that God sets out to do comes to fruition. Who also knows that on earth, all the things God wants don't happen. Raise your hand if you believe that to be true. See, we experience that in our own life. Sometimes we know God has something for us, or we know what God says about a specific thing, but it doesn't actually come about. You're like, God, but this was what you wanted, and you spoke it to me, but it didn't happen. See, we do live in a broken world that Jesus left heaven to come and fix. And who knows that Jesus fixed the broken world, and he's fixing it right now. Yeah. He is every single day, and we know that too because we were born under Adam, and Adam was the, the one who first rebelled against God on earth, and he got the penalty of his rebellion, which was the curse of sin. God didn't curse Adam in Genesis 3. You can go there. Genesis just means beginnings or origins. You can check it out later. Genesis 3, Adam rebelled. God didn't curse him. He cursed the ground. 
And I think it's because sin is a curse. And so Adam chose the curse for himself. God gave it to him. And then he cursed the ground for Adam's sake. Um, you know that we still serve a good God. And even when the things in our life are broken, even when the things around us are broken, that doesn't reflect on God's goodness. And we're going to see today that Jesus lived a certain way. And when we live the same way with the help of his spirit, then we experience the blessing of God just like Jesus did. I was just talking with someone out in the lobby, and uh, we were talking a little bit about suffering and their personal suffering. Um, and I can think of my own personal suffering that I've been through. Um, Jesus gives us an example for how we're called to live. So if Jesus suffered in his 33 years here on earth in order to achieve glory, glory is in our destiny, but we're going to suffer just like Jesus did, all of us in our own different ways. But that doesn't, that doesn't reflect on who God is and how God is. He's still a good God. And I feel like there is someone here today, and maybe many of us, I know this word's for me, our identity is so tied to the circumstances that we go through that as soon as things start going wrong, as soon as we have a plan and it's not going the way we intended, we a little bit or a lot, we um, allow that to color our view of God. Um, the the testimony of Jesus is a spirit of prophecy. So this is what we're going to do. We're going to read a, um, scripture, and we're gonna, um, I'm going to share stories as the Holy Spirit triggers them. I'm just going to let them rip. Um, so I think this is helpful to start. Um, when I was 16 and a half, I grew up in a, um, a Jesus-loving, Bible-believing family. Um, and uh, I prayed when I was three and a half. I remember the day. Um, I remember the prayer. Um, I remember what led me to it, and I went and I told everyone. Um, it was cool. Um, so at three and a half, and six and a half, I was like, hey, mom and dad, you got to let me get baptized. My older sisters did it. Um, I have two older sisters, and uh, I really want to do it. So they allowed um, me to do that, and I got baptized at six and a half. The problem was that um, I did these rituals, these things that you do as a Christian. I prayed the prayer, and I got baptized, but I didn't, I didn't actually value my relationship with Jesus. I didn't value it at all. So I lived the way that um, I wanted to live, which in a Christian home, that's a little more strict um, as mine was. Um, you either do what um, you're instructed to do or you find a way to get around it and lie about it, which was the route I took. Um, I thought I was pretty clever. Um, and so I, I was living a duplicitous lifestyle for the first 16 and a half years of my life. But then Jesus came. He's like, hey, you remember that prayer? You remember that baptism? That was about me. But what's not about me is your life. And um, so when I was 16 and a half, um, I uh, disobeyed my dad. My dad gave me a clear uh, direction, and I decided not to do it. I took my brother's four-wheeler off a jump, and then um, I woke up 10 days later. Um, I was in a coma for 10 days, and I woke up with a severe traumatic brain injury. Um, but here's what happened. Um, I was, like, cognitively, I was a two-year-old um, after waking up. So I had to learn how to walk and go to the bathroom and do all the things that 16-and-a-half-year-olds should know how to do. Um, I had to relearn those. But the Spirit said to me three things. Um, he said, this is my discipline. 
You can live however you want after this. Um, but I just want you to know that you're going to give an account when, when your life's over to me. And um, that was enough to get my attention. And um, so I surrendered to the Lord and uh, began to live for him, um, though not very well, because um, I had a lot of baggage to process. Anyone else there? Is it just me up on the stage? No one else has got baggage. Okay. I'm here. I'm comfortable. I'm good. I got rest. I'm feeling good. All right. So we're in Matthew chapter 6, um, and we're going to read. Um, here's one thing. If, if you want a little bit deeper dive on the value of translations of the Bible, I can't do it from stage, so go to Following Jesus. It's happening tonight, and um, the world-class teacher, Kathy, is teaching it, um, and she's actually, yeah, she's amazing, and she's teaching about the Bible. So if you want a deeper dive, come tonight, 6.30 to 8. You don't even have to sign up. I give you a pass. We got a book for you. Just come. It's going to be great. Um, but here's one quick thing about translations. They all have value. Um, City Church generally uses the ESV, the English Standard Version. Um, it's one I personally love. Um, but there's a lot of other translations that are good as well. What I have right here is the NLT, the New Living Translation, and then we're going to be reading from the Message, um, which is a great, um, a great translation from a pastor named Eugene Peterson, who's with the Lord now, and then another pastor... Um, named Brian, and I'm forgetting his last name, um, he, he translated um, what's called the Passion Translation. So we're going to be leaning on those translations a little bit more so that we can um, hear a little differently um, and have a little bit different understanding about what it is that Jesus is saying. Because I think there's a lot of common knowledge about the, the Lord's Prayer. There's a lot of um, understanding about the Sermon on the Mount. Um, but I want to see it from a little bit different lens today. Um, so let's jump on in. If you're ready to jump, say jump. jump. I got to hear it. All right, here we go. Bear with me, Jesus. All right, verse 5, Matthew chapter 6 says, When you pray, don't be like the hypocrites. Oh, I'm sorry. That's not true. That's not where we're starting. Um, we're going to start in verse 33. It's going to be real quick. It will be up on the screen behind me. Um, and it says this, seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously. He will give you everything you need. Um, I think the, the question that we have to consider today, honestly, for ourselves is, is the, are the problems of, of our life or the issues of our life, are they because of the choices that we've made and the lifestyle that we've chosen? Are the things we're dealing with today that are dysfunctional or difficult, is, is that because of some of the choices or the lifestyles that we've chosen to live? And so reading this verse, it says that Jesus, Jesus says this, seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously, and he will give you how much of what you need? Everything, every single thing that you need, Jesus is ready to give you. But there's a responsibility um, that we have. And so we're going we're gonna to look at how Jesus lived. Um, so back to verse 5, um, and you'll see it up on the screen behind me. Um, and I will see it right here on my iPad. Verse 5 says, And when you come before God, don't turn that into a thea theatrical production either. All these people making a regular show out of their prayers, hoping for stardom. 
Do you think God sits in a box seat? Here's what I want you to do. Find a quiet, secluded place so you won't be tempted to role play before God. Just be there as simply and honestly as you can manage. The focus will shift from you to God and you will begin to sense his grace. The world is full of so-called prayer warriors who are prayer ignorant. They're full of formulas and programs and advice, peddling techniques for getting what you want from God. Don't fall for that nonsense. This is your father you are dealing with and he knows better than you what you need. With a God like this loving you, you can pray very simply. Um, there's a key phrase that I want to leave with you, and if you take notes or write anything down, um, I give you permission to write this in your Bible also. Um, it goes like this. When you practice the way Jesus lived, God replaces your problems with the blessings he gives. Let me say that again. When we practice the way Jesus lived, God replaces the problems with the blessing he gives. See, chapter 5 was all about the blessed life. And did you know that blessed can be translated directly to happiness? I was talking with someone out in the, in the lobby, and, uh, and this person mentioned, it doesn't seem like seeking happiness is uh, really the way that we should be living. Um, and yet, in the West, that's what's held up as the ideal, right? You seek happiness, but you get after it by prioritizing yourself. That's kind of the way that we live life. That's what's preached. That's what the marketing is. Everything is about self, right? We have phrases that go with it, like you do you or live your truth. There's on and on. It's all about you and seek happiness for you, and that will make you truly happier. That's the blessed life. But Jesus, we read, says that if you seek first the kingdom of God, not your own kingdom, not your own happiness, but God's kingdom, and then you seek to live righteously, his righteousness, then you're going to get everything else you need. And who knows that I feel like sometimes that I need a little bit of happiness in my life. Um, and you probably feel the same way, right? And that's why I married Liz. She's the happy, fun one, and I'm the uh, opposite of that. Um, say bland. But our kids are more of her than me, so if you meet them, you're like, yeah, they got a lot of Liz. Um, they're great. Um, I want to keep I want to keep pushing in um, to to our text in a moment. There's there's three key practices that Jesus outlines for us in our text, um, and the first one is um, pray another way or pray a better way. That's the first practice of Jesus, because when Jesus came, he set an example. Who knows that he didn't just die? That's not the most. That's not the only thing. Um, but he raised from the dead. Raise your hand if you know that, if you've heard that. Someone taught you that. Okay. What was not really communicated or emphasized in the Christianity that I came up in was that the life of Jesus actually mattered as much as the death, which also mattered as much as the resurrection. It was kind of like a whole package deal. And uh, so when Jesus lived a perfect life, he's the only one who can say, now you go and live a perfect life. Jesus says that. He said it, Pastor Mike explained last week, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the tribe, or the, hello, scribes and Pharisees. Um, they were a tribe, don't get me wrong, but uh, the scribes and Pharisees, then you cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. That's true, 
But later on in the New Testament, it, um, it reemphasizes what the Old Testament says, which is um, you must be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. It says live perfectly. And do you know that if God tells us to do something, he's going to help us do it? He's going to enable us? He's going to empower us to do the thing that he tells us. Like, here's what happens. Here's what my experience is. Um, God tells us to do all these things, but then I'm like, I'm, I'm trying to do it, okay? I'm trying to do the right thing. I'm trying to live righteously. I'm trying to live for the kingdom, but I can't do it. And so now I'm in this predicament because it's like God told me to do it. So either he's telling me something that I'm not able to do, which seems a little mean as a father to do that, or I'm getting it wrong and I'm not doing it right. Either way, God's not who I've been told he is. And here's why I don't believe that God tells us to do things that he doesn't help us do, because he's a good dad. Listen, I'm a dad of four kids. I'm not always a good dad. I try to be. I'm certainly not a perfect dad. Um, but I work really hard at setting my kids up for success. Um, what happens when God tells us to do something, we keep failing at it, and then we're like, but God, you told me to do it, is we start blaming God. And we're like, God, you're either not good or I'm not good. Either way, you're living under a lie that's not true. See, and I got to just share this. Um, Jesus is just like us in this way. You only spend money on that which you think equals the value of the amount of money you're giving, right? You only pay for what you value at the thing you're willing to give up for it. You'll only trade something that is equal of equal value. You won't do lesser. Jesus is the same in that he gave his life of inestimable value because he values your life as valuable as his. He values you so much that he was willing to trade that which is inestimable, that's such a hard word, I should have come up with another one, has limitless value for you, for your name, fill in the blank, because he values you enough to give up everything and to bring you into his kingdom. And so Jesus is telling us, hey, this is, this is how you live in a way that is going to leave you blessed in the end. So let's read, let's read the, what, what theologians call the Lord's Prayer, what may even be in your Bible um, as a subtitle of the Lord's Prayer. Picking up in verse 9, says this, Our Father, dwelling in the heavenly realms, may the glory of your name be the center on which our lives turn. Manifest your kingdom realm and cause your every purpose to be fulfilled on earth, just as it is fulfilled in heaven. We acknowledge you as our provider of all we need each day. Forgive us the wrongs we have done as we ourselves release forgiveness to those who have wronged us. Rescue us every time we face tribulation and set us free from evil. For you are the king who rules with power and glory forever. Amen. And when you pray, make sure you forgive the faults of others so that your Father in heaven will also forgive you. But if you withhold forgiveness from others, your Father withholds forgiveness from you.
I was talking with my little sister on Friday, and um, she was explaining to me this um, experience that she was in where she was finding herself grumbling and complaining. God's word speaks actually about both those things, and it says, um, don't do those things. That's what God's word says. And, uh, and so she's finding herself venting. That's what the world calls it. Um, everyone needs to vent. You know, that's what we say in the world. Um, and so she found herself with her mostly non-believing co-workers um, venting or grumbling and complaining, and her co-workers are, are um, you know, allowing her to do that. I mean, she's starting to feel kind of, like, icky inside about it. And so she started talking to God, but here's, here's why she started bringing it to God. Because her non-believing friend, who knows that she's a believer in Jesus, asked her, how's, how's praying helping with your problems? That's what her non-believing friend said. Who knows that God can speak through anyone, whether they believe in Jesus or not? And that's exactly what happened with my sister. So she shared that, and then she said, I, I felt like I needed to be in Philippians. Um, and so I went to Philippians, and I read the book, and, um, and then I was just hit by this verse. I think it's probably in chapter 4 that says, um, do everything without complaining and grumbling. It's like very clear. Um, no questions asked about that. She's like, oh, okay. And then, then she said this. She said, um, sometimes I feel like I can misinterpret something, and I want to make sure that I'm like interpreting it right. And so she just asked the Lord, can you essentially, can you confirm this? So she goes to church, and her pastor's going off about how God speaks to us today, all the ways that God communicates. And then he stops mid-point um, uh, and says, um, if you're a nurse or a doctor in this room, and my sister's a nurse, um, I just want you to know that you are doing something that is amazing and that we are so thankful for you and God has you exactly where you're supposed to be. And so he, what we would say in, in this world, is start reading her mail. Asking, when she asked the Lord, like, can you confirm this? He led the pastor to speak to her in in that way. And it was, of course, for other things. It was part of his sermon. Um, but she felt like she's weeping in the probably first row because we're first rowers in our family. Um, and uh, she's crying because God communicated to her. Here's what I want you to know. Those are three instances that God spoke clearly to my little sister. He spoke through his word. That one was really clear. He spoke through a non-believing friend who she's evangelizing. Um, and that was really clear. And he spoke through her pastor um, who, who um, said exactly what she was asking the Lord to confirm. The Lord communicates to us often. And here's why I'm not, um, part of the reason I'm not focusing on the notes and all the clever things I wrote down is because prayer is hard. Prayer is hard. Like, I'm, I'm raising both hands if, if the pastor asked me, you struggle with prayer. You struggle getting in your prayer closet consistently. That's true for me. Um, and so I can exegete the text. I can draw out what the Greek meant and the Aramaic and the Hebrew. I can do that, and um, I spent time doing that. But what God wants you to know this morning is um, there is a better way to pray. There is a better way. And when we believe that God is constantly wanting to communicate to us, that's the faith that makes God happy. Without faith, it's impossible to please God, Hebrews 11 says. You want to please him, 
then you're move, you start moving in faith. You start believing the things you were taught or the things that you're reading and moving into them. Believe and then act. And that's what is going to make God pleased with you. Jesus did it often. Who knows he was more busy than me? Raise your hand. You can do it. It's about me. It's not about you. Touch your neighbor and say, yeah, that's true. Um, Jesus was busy, but you know what he never stopped doing? Getting away with the Father so he could hear through the Holy Spirit what the Father wanted him to do, what the Father said about him. And his identity led to his activity. Remember Matthew 3, Jesus gets baptized, and before he does anything, the Father says from heaven, this is my Son in whom I am well pleased. His identity led to his activity, and so should ours. And so prayer becomes easier when you believe that Jesus wants to communicate with you, that Jesus can communicate with you, not just in his word, not just when you're in your prayer closet, but through everyone around you, through your experiences, so on and so forth. And Jesus gives us the practice of praying, and he gives us um, just a few things. He gives us simplicity. Our prayers can be simple. They don't have to be. Um, there's really two, two images that he says, don't do it like this. Instead, do it like this. The one was um, the religious people who had a lot of uh, words that they could use and phrases and, and such, and they would pray this way that seemed really, um, I don't know, like seemed like a good prayer. Um, and sometimes we're like, well, I, I can't pray like that. And Jesus is like, you don't have to. The other was pagans or Gentiles, everyone that wasn't a Yahweh f follower, everyone who didn't believe in Elohim, the one true God, was a Gentile um, or a pagan. Um, and so he said, don't pray like them. They come up with these uh, formulas that they think is going to cause the gods, small g gods, to do what they're asking for. Don't do it like that either. Those are the extremes. Don't do either. Just go through the middle and pray simply. And then he gives us a template. But it starts with a good God. And it's our Father. It's not just my Father. It's ours, which tells me that we're meant to do this in community. We're meant to pray together. When I was talking with someone in the lobby, they were saying, I was so blessed by this morning's prayer because I was praying in the spirit. I was praying around people and I felt like there was a weight lifted off of me. This is meant to be done in conjunction with other believers. And so I've been praying with um, one of the elders every morning um, and it's been, it's been helping me get into a place with the Lord that sets up my, the rest of my day. If you're like, I really struggle, I can't do it, like grab someone and start doing it with them um, and watch the blessing flow. Um, another thing that Jesus uh, essentially said was keep it secret, keep it safe. Um, so if you thought Gandalf was the only guide uh, that came up with that, you're wrong. That was uh, Jesus. Gandalf stole it from him. Um, keep it secret. Like, so evaluate what your motive is for this. But remember, when you believe that God wants to talk to you, that he's a good father, and he does, what he says about Jesus is what he says about you. This is my son. This is my daughter in whom I'm well pleased. Look at them. Will you just look at them? They're amazing. They are killing it. 
and yeah, 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 they have these, these, um, these things they're working through, but I don't see that. What I see is this person that I created. And when Jesus came, he didn't just come to remove sin. You know what he did? He restored our identity. God, can't, God created us to be his children, to go out in, in, outside of the garden and to spread his dominion, to take dominion of the earth. That's why we were created. When rebellion happened, we turned the keys over to someone else. We call him Satan. The Bible calls him Satan. Jesus came and he won back the keys and now he gives it to us and he says, go and make disciples. You have the authority that you need, but it's because your identity's been restored. And if your identity hasn't been restored in Jesus, here's what it looks like. Jesus, I need you. Jesus, my life is a mess without you and I can't do it apart from you. Will you take away my sins, cast them um, as far as the east is to the west in the sea of unforgetfulness um, and help me to live for you. When you pray that, when you have that interaction with God, this is what happens. He saves you through the Holy Spirit and Jesus sends miraculously the Holy Spirit to live in us, to help us and enable us and empower us to live the commands that God has given us. If you haven't prayed that prayer, we're going to have the prayer team come up at the end. I just want you to know, they will pray that with you. And it will change your life. Back to our text. When you fast, verse 16, don't look like those who pretend to be spiritual. They want everyone to know they're fasting. So they appear in public looking miserable, gloomy, and disheveled. Believe me, they're all, they've already received their reward in full. When you fast, don't let it be obvious, but instead wash your face and groom yourself and realize that your father in the secret place is the one who is watching all that you do in secret and will continue to reward you. If you think prayer is hard, you haven't tried fasting. And I'm talking food and water. That's like the only fasting that uh, Jesus and um, the early church knew about. Um, fasting is hard. Here's what fasting does it shows us how much we depend on things other than God. That's one thing it just reveals. Um, it's like a self-imposed um, uh, suffering like that we put on each other. But here's what Jesus practiced. And he thought it was important enough to include it in the Sermon on the Mount. Um, his practice, number two, was, uh, my encouragement for you is join the fast lanes. Um, I'm talking about how hard it is um, because I feel like God called me into fasting several years ago, and I grew up in um, a stream of Christianity that didn't really practice it. And the reality is, this is the probably the number one discipline, spiritual discipline, that um, is ignored by the church. So City Church, though, um, does something really cool at the beginning of the year. We do a 40-day fast. Um, and if you think you can't do 40 days, um, there's three people uh, in the Bible who did 40 days, um, uh, water-only fast. Jesus was one of them. So I think something, it is supernatural um, when it happens. I can't, I haven't done a 40-day fast, but I do want to share a story. My first extended fast happened um, several years ago, and um, I felt like the Lord was calling me to do a seven-day fast, and um, I had never done that long. Um, and it was uh, I'd probably only done two days. I entered the seven-day fast, and I was like, okay, 
I'm going. Um, and God gave me a strength to actually get to the end of it. And here's what happened. Here's part of the value of fasting is, yes, you're going to see what you depend on, but sometimes fasting is the only way that, or the best way to kill our flesh. Like, we still have fleshly cravings. Yeah, we have a new heart, and our heart has, um, and our identity has been changed, but we still are wrestling against um, a, a flesh um, that is from our old man. Um, fasting is what cripples our flesh. And so at the end of the seven days, I wasn't even asking for this thing, but I asked for it probably a hundred times in the years that I had been married and leading up to it, that God would just remove this thing that I was struggling with. So I, I, like, I prayed with my best friend a lot, that's Liz, um, that God would remove this thing. I went to biblical counseling. I um, uh, had accountability. I had all these things, like, for years. And I fasted for seven days, and on the seventh day, at the end of it, I remember the moment, um, laying in bed with my wife, and all of a sudden, I realized that something just got lifted off of me, and I started weeping. Now, I cry all the time, but I don't weep often. Um, but this was like a full-fledged, you know, I'm ugly crying in the bed next to Liz, and she's like, what just happened? Um, fasting allowed God to do something in me that I had been asking for, but there was things in my life that had been hindering him from giving me the thing that I was asking for. Fasting allowed me um, to experience breakthrough. The third thing that Jesus shows, the third practice, is to treasure God things and reject worthless things. Treasure God things and reject worthless things. Let's keep reading in our text. Uh, verse 19, don't keep hoarding for yourselves earthly treasures that can be stolen by thieves. Material wealth eventually rust decays and loses its value. Instead, stockpile heavenly treasures for yourselves that cannot be stolen and will never rust, decay, or lose their value. For your heart will always pursue what you value as your treasure. Your heart will always pursue what you value as your treasure. Jesus wants us to know that the choices that we make have an impact on the life that we live. Not only that, but they are a mirror of the things that we treasure most. Our choices mirror what we treasure. Not only that, our choices actually determine who we end up being. I want to read a C.S. Lewis quote, um, so if you can put that up on the screen. He said, you are slowly turning this central thing either... Can you go back? There's another quote leading up to this one. Thank you. Every time you make a choice, you are turning the central part of you, the part of you that chooses, into something a little different from what it was before. You are slowly turning this central thing either into a heavenly creature or into a hellish creature. Our choices, when we value worthless things, it actually changes us into something that's not reflective of the kingdom, but is reflective of hell, reflective of, of the anti-kingdom. But when we choose to treasure the things of God, we are changed into the image of God. Galatians 5, 
um, talks about the acts of the flesh. It says sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is reserved for those who are saved by Jesus and beginning to live like Jesus because the spirit of Jesus is helping us and empowering us to move into his kingdom, to bring his kingdom from heaven to earth. So we reject worthless things because Jesus rejected worthless things. He didn't have time for anything that had no worth. So there's things all in our society that we can give time to. But the question that I, I want you to consider is, is this thing of worth? Would this fall in line with the kingdom of God? Or is it something that is going to burn at the end? But Jesus also shows us how to treasure God things. Colossians, need to read in a moment, but let's end um, out of our text. Matthew 6, 25 says, This is why I tell you to never be worried about your life, for all that you need will be provided, such as food, water, clothing, everything your body needs. Verse 33, So above all, constantly chase after the realm of God's kingdom and the righteousness that proceeds from him. Then all these less important things will be given to you abundantly. Refuse to worry about tomorrow, but deal with each challenge that comes your way one day at a time. Tomorrow will take care of itself. I want to invite the worship team up. God things are love, loving not just your people, but loving your enemies, loving those who are helpless, those who have needs, loving those around you, your neighbors. It's really loving everyone. That's a God thing. It's a fruit of the Spirit. The first one is love. The second is joy, a God thing. Joy, more than happiness, is just this deep abiding contentment and, and yes, happiness about who, who you serve and, um, and your trust that he um, is in charge and things are going to work out for you. Because trust me, I know circumstances don't always reflect the things that we believe or the things that scripture tells us. And yet we can have a joy in the midst of uncertainty because we know the end. Peace is the third of the fruit of the spirit. It's a God thing. And who knows that God, because he's the God of peace, he can give peace to you. Whether you know what you're walking into or what's happening to you, no matter if it's the most difficult thing you've gone through or it's a good day, God can give you peace. And if you treasure him and his kingdom, things, he will pour peace to you. But Philippians 4 says, be, do not be anxious but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Peace is a God thing. 
It belongs to him, and he'll give it to you. Chase after his peace. And finally, Colossians 3, it says this, Since you've been raised to a new life with Christ, set your sights on the realities of heaven, where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand. Think about the things of heaven, not the things of the earth. Verse 5, So put to death the sinful earthly things lurking within you. We're seated in the heavenly places with Christ. That's your identity. That's your inheritance. Yes, it's Christ when he comes back, but it's Christ now. You're seated with him. Your identity is as a son and as a daughter with him in the heavenly places. But so often we allow the things around us, the pressure points that we feel, the uncertainties of the road ahead to, to distract us from the identity that we actually have. The Bible says you're seated. You are right now seated in the heavenly places. But now it's our job with the help of the Holy Spirit to put to death that which is lurking in us, that is wanting to see us fall. I just want to share, this is the last story, and maybe the most potent. Um, I was praying with uh, Jim the other morning, and, um, and I started feeling this, like, temptation to sin um, in my thinking. And, uh, I, and I, like, we're praying, so I'm like, this is, like, so inappropriate that I would be tempted in my thinking while I'm praying. Um, but it was an opportunity to fight against that temptation and the way my flesh wanted to um, give in. And so I started fighting it, and here's what God did. This is, this is really, this never happened actually in this way. Um, I fight it, and then all of a sudden, this, this like, um, I'm in a different place. I'm transported, and the veil is torn open, and, I'm, and I see a man over here to my left, you're right, and um, he's classy, he's got J's on, he looks good, and I'm like, I would be friends with him. And um, he... He said to me, um, I, would, I would get that thing for you. I would do that for you. Almost like you would say to a friend, when you have the authority to give them the thing that they want and need, and it's within your ability, and you say, you know what, I love you, I'd do that for you. That's what the interaction was. I would do that for you. But I, I had this like uneasy feeling about this person, and uh, so I, I said no, um, and all of a sudden it shifted, and I, and I see this, um, uh, like a popular picture of what devils look like, you know, with horns, and, um, and it was a demon. Um, it wasn't this classy guy that was trying to help me. It was someone that was ready to help my flesh get the thing that it was craving. And I realized in that moment, I've asked the Lord a lot of questions um, growing up about why sin was so easy for me when, uh, when I, before I was, uh, had my traumatic brain injury. Like, why was it that this fell into place and this person and that? And, and I've asked him, and in that moment, I had a revelation from heaven that it's because just like God sends angels to protect us and to help us and to remind us, and just like he sends the Holy Spirit, the enemy, Satan, also has his players that he's sending. And so whenever we are tempted to give in to sin, guess who wants to make that super easy for us? 
the enemy, and he has his ways. And God's ways are better. They are better. But the enemy has his ways too. And I saw into the spiritual realm. Paul said, we fight not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and rulers of spiritual, uh, the spiritual forces in the heavenly places. We're saved out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. And so when we're tempted in the natural, there's things happening in the spiritual. And when you're praying and when you're fasting, I was in the middle of a 40-day fast. Um, when you're doing those things, God will give you revelations that will actually help you fight better. He gave that to me, and I realized things about my past 16-plus years ago. And I realized what was happening behind the scenes every time that I was tempted to sin. And it's given me a, um, a fervor. It's given me an, empower, an empowered spirit Every time there's any temptation, whatever it is, um, I now know better than I did before that revelation what is happening. And, um, and it gives me um, a desire to fight it more. And so God wants to touch you in that way. He wants to give you the revelation. And now when we look at Jesus, we can ask him and we can do it with each other. Let's Let's grab someone else and let's start praying together. Let's start fasting. Let's start, let's start looking at the things that we fill our time with and ask ourselves, is this worthless or does it have value? Is it a God thing or is it something else? Because if it's something else, I don't have any time for it. And God will move. He will do the work. And now it's our time to respond. So I want to invite the prayer team up. Um, if you were touched during this talk um, by the Lord or convicted by the Holy Spirit, I want to just invite you. Now's a great time to get prayer. Um, now's a great time um, to start with someone else, um, the part of the prayer team, and just ask them, hey, this is the thing I felt. This is what I want to remove. Here's what I want to do and make a plan. Liz and I just went to a, a marriage conference um, yesterday and Friday. And uh, they ended it with, with a commitment. It was like, are you all in? And if you're all in, then that means X, Y, and Z. But the all in starts now. Because the kingdom is waiting for you. And the land that has to be possessed, because Jesus owns it, is ready to be taken. And the giants that are there... They're ready to be toppled. And we're not going to look at those giants anymore and say, we look like grasshoppers in their eyes. Instead, like David, we're going to look at those giants and we're going to say, I serve a God who's bigger than you. I serve a God who can cripple you, who can topple you. And his words are the ones that I'm going to live by. And so I want to invite you to stand as we close. But if God's working on you, if he's moving, if the spirit of God is stirring up in you, I want to invite you, come to the front. And God, we thank you for this time. We thank you for the life of Jesus. We thank you for the way that he practiced a relationship with you. And just like basketball, 
we got to put in the time for the game day um, so that we're ready. We're ready to score the baskets. We're ready to make the passes. We're ready to set the picks. But it takes practice. And it's going to hurt sometimes. And we're going to have to sacrifice just like we do for the things we care about. But God, I just pray that you would lead us into another broader place, that you would help us to level up in our Christianity, that we would stop being lukewarm and apathetic and half in, half out, but that we would make the commitment today to move into the broad place that you have for us, the identity that you declare over us. God, I pray that that would, in a new way, a fresh way, lead to our activity that is kingdom-oriented. We love you, Jesus, and you can do it, and we ask that you would, in Jesus' name.